Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thank you for joining us today. Our mission here at Open Your Eyes is to help all of us open our eyes a bit more to the possibilities and realities all around us. And one of those realities is that you are filled with immense potential. And sometimes seeing things in a new way can unlock that potential. So wherever you're listening to this podcast today, I hope you get a new perspective of how you can think and live better. So if you find these podcasts helpful, you can help by sharing these podcasts with a friend. Word of mouth helps us further our mission. Just share this podcast and say something like, I thought you might enjoy this. Have a great day. And that would help us expand our mission and keep doing a little bit of good. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about the simple truth that it's time to move. Just a few weeks ago, deep sea scientists aboard a ship called Endurance 22 sailed to Antarctica in search of a ship that sunk over 107 years ago. The sunken ship was not full of gold or jewelry, but full of another kind of treasure, legacy. You see, in 1914, Ernest Shackleton wanted to be the first person to cross the Antarctica by land, and he needed a team. So he posted an ad that read, Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Sir Ernest Shackleton. This, and Shackleton's reputation, attracted some of the best explorers available. So he and 27 men he recruited for the trip set off aboard the Endurance to attempt to cross Antarctica by foot over the top of the South Pole, something that had never been done before. The expedition included 70 dogs that would pull the sleds across the ice. The ship Endurance departed from South Georgia on December 5th, sailing southward toward Antarctica. When they were within just a few days of reaching their destination, weather conditions worsened and the ship became frozen fast in an ice floe. There they waited six weeks, hoping the ship would soon break free of the ice. But Shackleton knew winter would soon be arriving, and they could be stuck there until the following spring, so... He organized his men and began harvesting everything they could from the ship. This move out of the ship was extraordinary because they moved to living on top of a giant sheet of ice that itself was moving in the ocean. For months, they lived on the ice with their ship frozen nearby. The ice sheet they were living on drifted hundreds of miles. Finally, in their spring, in October, their ship, the Endurance, gave way and was crushed in the ice. This left only the lifeboats for ocean travel, and with spring fast approaching, it was likely the ice they were on would soon split apart, and the men had no choice but to board the lifeboats and head for the nearest land. Shackleton moved. Now, once in the boats, they had a new challenge, the open ocean. Freezing spray, frigid water, seasickness, Frequent squalls made the journey horrendous. After five harrowing days at sea, they landed at Elephant Island, nearly 350 miles from where their ship, the Endurance, sank. 
This was the first time they had stood on solid ground in 500 days. Now, Elephant Island is an ice-covered mountainous island off the coast of Antarctica, and it's hardly hospitable. The island is 250 square miles of rocks, penguins, and seals. And Shackleton knew that no one would look for them on Elephant Island. So again, he made the decision to move. He assessed his situation and decided. He decided to risk an open boat journey 720 miles to South Georgia. The best of the lifeboats was selected, and Shackleton and five others set off to find help. For 16 days, they battled and rowed in monstrous swells and angry winds. Soon, the lifeboat found South Georgia, but landed miles from the nearest whaling station. And when they staggered into camp, the whalers couldn't believe their eyes. The hair and beards of Shackleton and his boatmates were stringy and matted, their faces blackened with soot from blubber stoves, and creased from nearly two years of stress and privation. Once his lifeboat crew were rescued, Shackleton knew he had to move quickly to rescue the remaining 22 crew members on Elephant Island. They were close to death. Shackleton found a ship, and in his first attempt to reach Elephant Island, his ship came within 100 miles, but was turned back by the ice. He secured a second ship, but it fared no better. But he refused to give up. He kept moving. He searched and begged and labored, and finally, on August 30, 1916, he procured a third ship from Chile and set out again for Elephant Island. And not long after, one day the men on the island were settling down to a lunch of boiled seal's backbone when they spied a ship just off the coast. Twenty months after setting out for the Antarctic, every one of the Endurance crew was alive and safe. Now, while the crew made it back to England, his ship did not. For more than a century, the Endurance remained among history's most elusive shipwrecks. But this year, a team of scientists located the Endurance at the bottom of the Weddell Sea, approximately four miles south of the position originally recorded when the Endurance sank. Now, I teach a business strategy course at a leading business school. We teach cases, situations about leadership and strategy to our students. And one of the cases, in fact, an extremely popular case, is about Ernest Shackleton and his leadership on his failed attempt to reach the South Pole. We explore his leadership style. Shackleton was intensely loyal to his men. He shared the same chores and led by example. His men got warm clothing and food before he did. He gave his final set of mittens to one of his men. He behaved and worked as an equal. He also made mistakes in his planning and even his strategy. And as a class, we talk and debate as to whether they were mistakes and what strategies he could have employed. Every time we read and discuss the case, I walk away reflecting on the one thing that made Shackleton's leadership legacy. He knew when it was time to move. He was apt to act. He understood the power of action in helping his team survive. Now, you and I will likely never be stuck in the ice at the South Pole, but we, almost all of us, do get stuck in life. And most often, we get stuck in our thinking. We let habitual thinking freeze us from time to time. And the way out of our situation or to safety or success just might be to move. 
Action is a powerful force, not only in our life, but in our minds. I don't know if you tend to overthink things, but overthinkers feel paralyzed at times because they feel they must have all the answers before they act. And the more they overthink, the more they get anxious. You know, we all overthink things at times. For example, have you ever gotten ready for an important awards banquet? At this awards banquet, you'll be wearing clothes you typically don't wear. It's a black tie and formal affair. And as you think about the evening beforehand, you know others will see you there and may judge what you choose to wear. You may think, if I choose to wear the blue dress instead of the gray dress, then what will people think? How will it change the way they look at me? What if it makes me stand out more and I draw unnecessary attention to myself? What if I wore the blue tie instead of the black tie? How would that change things? And so on and so forth. The more you think about the possibilities, the more stressful it becomes. And you spend hours trying on, choosing, and rechoosing what you'll wear. All the while, the truth is, the banquet itself will be dark and crowded, and few, if any, people pay close attention to what you wear. And you realize the time spent overthinking your wardrobe was a waste of time and stress. <laughs> and the truth is, most of us, in many different situations in life, have done this very thing from time to time. The problem with overthinking is it can become a habit. And soon we get hung up on relatively simple decisions. We worry excessively. Our mind tends to go into overdrive. And we even begin to think about our thinking, worrying about how we think. And this type of rumination, cycling through the same habitual thoughts again and again, can lead to hopeless thoughts, chronic inaction, or feeling like we're worth less than we actually are. This cycle of mental chatter can and often does begin to dominate our mental life. And no one is immune. We have all experienced overthinking from time to time. Consider the last time you had someone accuse you of something or give you feedback you considered unfair. Your overthinking machine probably kicked in and you ruminated on the situation. The harmful thing is this. Overthinking can prevent us from taking action by keeping us trapped in circular thoughts, reviewing things over and over again. When we overthink, we may be unable to separate facts and what we know for sure from the worries we keep telling ourselves. So whether you call it worry, anxiety, stress, rumination, or even obsession, the result of overthinking is that it feels awful and it doesn't help us in any way. Now, the truth is, thinking is a marvelous gift. The ability to reflect, to analyze, and ponder is arguably the single most defining characteristic of humankind and can help and improve our life. Our brain is an extraordinarily helpful tool, but when we overthink, we undermine its power. Many people who have challenges with money and work and children and relationships or have a stressful life event don't feel anxious or overthink. So, what can we do to overthink less and free up our mental strength to make better progress in life? Physicist Michio Kaku said, The human brain has 100 billion neurons, each neuron connected to 10,000 other neurons. Sitting on your shoulders is the most complicated object in the known universe. 
And rumination is what happens when all that processing power has nothing better to do. Now, stress, anxiety, and related overthinking has many causes, from genetics to diet, sleep, conditioned behavior, and many other factors. So I don't pretend to solve all the chronic conditions in which overthinking plays a role. But I do believe that there's one thing that helps us to mitigate overthinking in our lives. Action. Tony Robbins calls these habitual overthinking habits your emotional home. And I love the analogy. You know, when you were younger and something went wrong, you retreated home for safety. And the same thing happens in your mind when stress or difficult things come about. You return to your emotional home, to your established thinking habits. And if we were to examine our thinking habits closely, for most of us, that home has overthinking, worry, and stress. And we realize that our emotional home is not where we want to live. And if that's the case, moving out of your emotional home is one of the best things you can do to reach your potential. Yes, move out. A few years ago, my family was moving to Salt Lake City. We had a 15-year-old daughter who was going to be a sophomore in high school. It was perhaps the worst time for a young woman to move. But as we negotiated, she was willing to move if we moved to one particular city. So we packed up our house and moved. But the problem was the inventory of available houses in that city was really low. So we only had two or three choices of homes to buy. Well, we bought an available home and we settled for what was available. It wasn't ideal for our family. It had an attractive yard and looked nice on the outside, but the floor plan inside the home was not good. The living spaces were choppy, the family room small, and people in the neighborhood would compliment us on our house, but we really struggled with the inside of the house. Now, perhaps your emotional home is similar. You've settled over the years on your emotional home. Your emotional habits, you know, how you think or overthink, your habitual thinking that leads to procrastination or excuse-making or anxiety has left you with less than ideal living on the inside. Even if things may look great from the outside, inside, things aren't working very well. Well, with the house we purchased, we tried to remodel. We explored changing the walls and the structure of the home. And in the midst of all this, one day I was out for a run, and I ran past a vacant lot that had just been posted for sale. I called that day and purchased the lot. And we set out on building the home that best fit our family. And looking back on that experience, it was time to move. And moving made all the difference. The same goes for your emotional home. Are you going home to your overthinking and guilt and stress over and over again? If so, it's time to move. So, how do you move from your emotional home to a place where you can abandon your overthinking? Well, first, you have to decide it's time for a move. You've got to want to move. Only you are in charge of your mind, your emotional home. No one else can choose to move. You know, when Shackleton and his men were stuck in the ice, Shackleton kept his men's focus on the future. When the ship was stuck, he didn't entertain plans to rebuild the ship. He moved onto the ice. When the ice broke apart, he was prepared to move to the lifeboats, then move to Elephant Island, and move after move, he kept his team focused 
on what was next. A study published in the European Journal of Psychology found that university students' stress and overthinking levels could be lowered when their time management skills were improved, even as their study demands stayed the same. In short, action in moving through their day kept them from overthinking. Likewise, we've got to choose to move. And the first step towards moving from your emotional home is to decide that you're not going to stay where you are. So, is your emotional home where you want to be for the rest of your life? Or is the race your mind is running the race that will lead to your ideal outcome? A few years back, the sailing competition was underway at the Olympic Games in Seoul, South Korea. The 470 and the Finn classes were racing next to each other in their respective races. The 470 is a single-hole planing dinghy in which two sailors drive the boat. The Finn is single-handed or driven by one racer. And on this Olympic racing day, the wind suddenly picked up, blowing over 35 knots, and the Singapore team's 470 dinghy capsized in the wind. The men were thrown from the boat and were injured in the process, and it was immediately obvious they needed assistance. Well, at the exact moment, a Canadian sailor, Larry Lemieux, was running the fifth leg of his seven races in the Finn competition on the adjacent course. He was at about the halfway point in his race and was contending with the same gusts of wind all the other racers were battling. He happened to spot the Singapore shipwreck in the distance. Now, Larry had a choice. Abandon his own quest for the Olympic gold, something he'd worked and sacrificed and financed for years, or move. Move to the aid of the two men in the water on the 470 sailing course. Well, Larry moved. He left his race and his hopes for an Olympic medal, went to their aid, pulled them from the water, and cared for them until the patrol boat arrived. Then he rejoined his race and came in 22nd place. At the medal award ceremony, the president of the Olympic Committee awarded Lemieux with the Pierre de Coubertin Medal for Sportsmanship. He was, at the time, only the fifth recipient of that medal. Now, I suspect that very few of you have ever watched a 470 or Finn race at the Olympics, and fewer still could remember the name of a gold medal winner in those races. But here we are today talking about Larry because he knew it was time to move, and he did. So whatever race you're running in life, you're not likely to really win unless you can fix your thinking. So abandon the endless race you're running and move to do what you were meant to do. Remember, you can't start the next chapter of your life if you keep rereading your last one. And this leads us to the next way to move out of your emotional home. As Jim Rohn said, stand guard at the door of your mind. You see, we are in control of what we think about. We can direct our thoughts. And this requires we are careful about what we feed our mind. As I've gotten older, I've become very careful about what people I let influence my thinking. I've changed jobs, moved from cities, and made other changes to guard the door of my thinking. Life is too short for jealous colleagues, undermining team members, or family members who are negative. Thank them, be gracious, 
but be purposeful in your move. With these people, even those that are important to you, a move may be required. You see, people are the primary source of positive or negative input in your life. And I try to seek out good people who build and give and cause me to be a better person. And these moves have made all the difference in my emotional home. Remember, some people are part of your history, but not part of your destiny. When we stand guard at the door of our mind, we must all guard the technology and media input into our mind. In my emotional home, there's little room for the pontification of politics or rhetoric. It has no room in my home. Social media only has a small room in my emotional home. I stand guard. Uplifting podcasts have a huge room in my house. Scripture, education, things about which I'm curious, science, human sciences, and quality entertainment all have space in my home. Books have a large room in my home. I want gratitude to occupy most of the main level of my emotional home. Kindness, charity for good causes, and other worthy endeavors. I want those to have room in my home. Negative thoughts don't have a room in my house. When they walk in, and they do from time to time, I use focus to escort them out. You see, what I focus on becomes the habitual thoughts I will eventually end up with. So, I choose to focus my thoughts elsewhere. So, move to a new home and build it how you want it. Remember, progress towards who you know you are will dictate your happiness. Orchardville, Illinois is an unincorporated village in Wayne County. Years ago, it consisted of 28 houses, and Orchardville is where Sarah lived. Her parents were both previously divorced, came together, and lived on an 80-acre farm. They were brutally poor. Well, later in life, Sarah said she wanted to forget her childhood. Sometimes she didn't think she would make it out of her childhood alive. Isolated on the farm, forbidden from making friends, as a young girl, she did everything for herself because no one else was going to do it. She and her brothers labored and were disciplined severely. Sarah was repeatedly abused by a farmhand and her father prevented her from revealing the abuse. Her mother had a melon root in which she picked up melons from neighboring farms and sold them to local grocery stores, and Sarah helped with the root. And going with her mom on the melon delivery route was a dream come true. For her, getting off the farm and going to stores and seeing people and interacting with the store owners was empowering. One day at home, her mother beat her more than usual. She went after Sarah with a broomstick, and when it was over, Sarah had welts and bruises over her arms and body. The next day at school, her teacher and principal questioned her about her bruises. Sarah lied. Sarah somehow knew her mother's life was in shambles, and she also knew she had to do something, otherwise her brothers and Sarah would not survive. So at age 15, Sarah moved out of her parents' home. She moved to the other side of the farm, to live in a small shack with her 18-year-old brother. And once out of the house, she borrowed $10,000 to buy a used truck and took over the melon route. Soon, when her parents were divorced and at age 18, Sarah stepped in and purchased the farm outright. She worked at the tractor supply store, went to the community college, and she grew the melon route. 
Soon the client list for melons went from 12 to 150, and she started to believe she could make something of herself. She learned sales skills. She said, I would walk right up to the produce managers at the shops and say, hey, how are you doing today? I've got jumbo cantaloupes for a dollar. Are you sure you only want 25? We're not going to be back for about three days. So if I were you, I'd make it 40. On the farm, she grew melons, but needed something to extend her earnings after melon season was over. So with a portion of the farm, she planted pumpkins. And she noticed Walmart was converting stores to super centers. That meant they were selling food. And soon Sarah had every Walmart in the area on her list of customers. One day, she was driving on her delivery route and saw a sign in front of a building. It said Walmart Distribution Center. She stopped, asked about whether the center would be taking in produce, met the produce manager, and secured an ongoing supply for cantaloupe, melons, and pumpkins. Soon, her farm grew, and so did her experience. She acquired trucks for delivery, farm equipment for planting and harvesting, and she became the pumpkin queen of America. Today, she grows more pumpkins than any other farmer in the United States. And it's not unusual for Sarah to sell around 5 million pumpkins a year. And she says that everything in her life changed when she decided to move from her house. The same goes for you and me. We've got to be willing to move out of our emotional home. Whatever thoughts have a tendency to race through your mind each day, move away. It's time to move. And when you do, you'll find, like Sarah, that there are great things waiting for you after your move. So as we end today, remember Ernest Shackleton, keep moving. There is power in moving and keeping your focus on the next necessary part of your life's journey. Overthinking plagues many of us, and we can change the rumination going on in our life and our thinking by focusing on what's next. Decide to move from your emotional home and habitual thinking habits. Stand guard at the door of your mind. Only build rooms for the people and technology that helps you direct your thinking. Let gratitude and good like these and other good podcasts and the other good things in life occupy your emotional home. And like Sarah, make the move you need to make to become who you are meant to become. And most of all, Thanks for being here today. Don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.